Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It's titled Managing Transformation Projects, Improvements, and Learning in a Virtual Environment. I'm Mark Graben, your host and moderator today. I'm a senior advisor uh, with Kinexus, and I will in a minute be introducing our, our two presenters. And it's really, there's going to be a short presentation with a lot of panel discussion. So it's going to be a really interactive session here today with Kleena Archambault and Penny Ionelli. So before I more formally uh, introduce them, uh, if you can advance it real quick, we'll cover some of the logistics. So again, a little bit of slides and then a lot of Q&A and discussion. Um, we encourage you at any point, please submit a question using the Q&A panel. Um, if you use Q&A for questions, that just helps us manage those better instead of using the chat. Um, the chat is open if you want to uh, discuss this with other attendees as we're going. As you've been notified, the session is being recorded and you'll receive an email tomorrow with a link to the recording and a link to those slides. And if you can't wait, go look for it later today on the Kinexus YouTube channel. So with that, let me introduce our two panelists and presenters today. Um, so first off, uh, Kleena Archambault is the Senior Director of Process Improvement for UMass Memorial Healthcare. She leads the process engineering team of Lean Six Sigma Black Belts and Master Black Belts in the Center for Innovation and Transformational Change, or CITC. We'll learn a little bit about that today. She has more than a decade of experience leading process improvement in healthcare. And prior to joining UMass Memorial, she led a process improvement in the health systems engineering team at the Veterans Health Administration in Boston. Earlier, she worked as a process and industrial engineer at Intel Corporation, where she first learned about lean and the Toyota production system. She holds an MBA from Worcester Polytechnic Institute, a BS in biomedical and mechanical engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and is a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. And we're also joined by Penny Ionelli. She is the Chief Transformation Officer for UMass Memorial Healthcare. Uh, she runs the CITC, and prior to joining UMass, she worked for uh, Intel as well, of course, the semiconductor manufacturer for 15 years in the areas including process engineering, portfolio program, and project management, Lean Six Sigma program management, manufacturing operations, and quality management. So Penny has a BS in chemical engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Is also a Lean Six Sigma master black belt. Uh, has PMP and Lean certifications from various institutions. Um, so again, uh, welcome Kleena and Penny. I will turn it over to you and look forward to what you're going to share in the, the Q&A and discussion to follow. Oh, great. Thank you so much, uh, so much, Mark, for having us here. We're really excited to be here. So I figured first we could just start with just an intro about UMass as well as CITCR group, and then we can jump right into any questions um, that you have for us. So our healthcare system, uh, UMass Memorial Health, is made up of 17,000 employees, and we call them caregivers, because whether you're directly a part of patient care or indirectly a part of patient care, it really is all about having the patient at the center. And a part of our organization, we have lots of different arms and tentacles to the to our business, but the kind of key ones are uh, we have four owned hospitals over 10 campuses. Uh, we have a behavioral health entity along with addiction services at that entity called CHL. We also have 70 ambulatory clinics. Uh, we have about 1,100 physicians in our medical group and also five urgent care facilities. Want to go to the next slide? And UMass, our service area is really central Massachusetts. You can kind of see the, the green area there on the map with some of the stars and locations that we have. And this is really the population that we're focused on serving um, in Massachusetts. And so within the context of that, uh, I currently run CITC, which is the Center for Innovation and Transformational Change. It started back in 2009 um, under, uh, under our previous CEO, but it has gone through many iterations and evolutions since then. And in about 2019 is when we made the transition into kind of like the current state, which is what we'll talk about in a couple slides here. And really, we're viewed as the strategic execution arm for Dr. Dixon, our CEO strategy. So really it's about, we build a strategic plan every year and how do we get it done? And it's really through my team that we do that. Let's go to the next slide. So it's kind of a unique group. 
in the sense that, so we report directly into the CEO um, and he's my boss, Dr. Dixon. Uh, and our team is made up of three different areas. So first off, we have our process engineering team. This is where we have our black belts or master black belts, even a health systems engineer on that team. We also have our enterprise analytics and data warehouse integration team. This is all of our enterprise analytic IT platforms and the data that comes out of it. So it's really, we are the stewards of all the enterprise analytics and, and reporting for the company. And last but not least is our strategic uh, transformation portfolio. And this is our strategic project management, program management. We have program directors, as well as um, some program business analysts. And so what's kind of unusual about how we work is that this is kind of like a bunch of silos, but we actually work horizontally. And what I mean by that is a lot of our work is done in a tiger team type fashion where we have a data person, we have a project manager, we have a process engineer, we might have different groupings of that. And they tend to work on the strategic project work um, as like a team. And then when the project's done, they dissolve and they go to you know other work. And we obviously have multiple projects going on at the same time. But what's kind of um, important about that is we really have data driving a lot of our projects from the beginning, the middle, and the end, right? So as you're baselining your project, as you're trying to see how you're doing um, midway through your project, and also how do we sustain the gains that we make in projects. So the data is really core and special part of our organization. It's usually housed in our IT department, but what makes it really great is we don't have to like put in requests to get data. We have it housed and it's strategically aligned such that the data needs get aligned to the CEO strategy. And those are the ones that get pulled first. Um, so it's, it's very helpful and it really expedites our project work. Um, so you don't have that lag of trying to figure out the data situation. Um, if you go to the next slide, I just wanna call out a little bit more in detail uh, before I hand it back over to Mark, um, our process engineering team, since this is probably, we have probably a lot of lean community members on today, um, really what our team does in this space. So if you go into the next slide, Kleena. So about 75% of the work that my process engineering team under Kleena does is transformational work. And this is the big breakthrough type change work. This is through A3s, Kaizen's, and mostly DMAIC project work. Um, we also are responsible for proliferating the process improvement culture here at UMass. I would say it's about 25% of the time. This is our idea boards. This is supporting leaders throughout the organization to really kind of make that transformation and continue it. It's more the continuing at this point. Uh, visual management system, and obviously our lean training um, at all levels. We have four levels of training, white, yellow, green, and black, um, as well as they partner up with our analytics group. And we're really doing this big push around analytics competency. It's not just about getting that data. It's about being able to use it and going through the life cycle from knowing you need it to being presentation and data-driven ready. So we're building a whole curriculum around how to get the data out of the system all the way through analyzing and then turning it into effective presentations. So they also are helping pretty significantly with that. And last but not least, we do have a health system engineer on the team, and she is responsible for a lot of our simulation operational analysis. So that's just a little bit about our team and organization here at UMass. I'll throw that back over to you, Mark. <laughs> oh, okay. There. Oh, we're going to pull up some other slides, sort of um, as needed. Yes. So, um, thank you for the the introduction to what you're doing. And I've got a couple follow up questions. We'll encourage the attendees to go ahead and submit those during um, Q and A, and maybe just for the panel discussion. If you want to stop the share, we can restart it. When, Great. When it's needed. So. One one thing I was curious about, you know, you mentioned there on that last slide these these different improvements, and you know, can you maybe tell us a little bit more of like if somebody comes to you with a problem, how do you think through or help others think through if it should be an A three, if it sounds like it should be a Kaizen event, or if you would use the Demaic framework for that project? 
So I, I think it has to do with what you're trying to do as an outcome, right? So, and it's also, I think that there's some projects that are very lean centric and some that are a lot more data centric and trying to really improve the quality aspect of it. So that would probably differentiate between more of the lean tools and the Six Sigma tools. And then whether or not you can do a Kaizen, and I actually find Kaizen to be a very effective tool if we can get the people pulled together here. Um, because it's just, it, it. I think from a cultural perspective, it really is like a fire starter uh, mm-hmm. for um, getting people enthusiastic about the work. So I find that that's an effective tool when we're kind of doing lean project work. Um, if you see that kind of cultural element, in addition to the ability to quickly get something done, and we just don't have the opportunity to take a project and split it out over weeks and weeks and weeks, if it needs to turn around faster, mm-hmm. we essentially can condense it into a Kaizen format. And then do you use Demaic framework in the A3, like sometimes I've seen people literally spell it out as Demaic, and sometimes people use different language in an A3. Uh, in different iterations of our A3, we have done Demaic work on the side there, um, but we do we do try to kind of keep it a little bit parts. We have a, a roadmap for our Demaic work that's mm-hmm. a little bit separated from our A3 work. Um, and so we do in our current iteration, really try to kind of keep those things separate. Kleena, do you want to elaborate on that? In our lean training program, we teach A3. So the improvement framework for the organization generally is A3. And that's what that's what we teach our green belt candidates, our black belt candidates. Um, and we use DMAIC and the Six Sigma tool set. Um, on my team for those projects that call for it, um, that are data intensive. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to ask, and, and Tom commented in the in the chat about how difficult it can be to get people's time to work on a Kaizen event. Can you can you mm-hmm. share either in the context of an example of an event or just in general some of the things that you've done to kind of fight through that challenge of of making time? So I can start, and then I know Kleena probably has even more elaboration on this one. Um, I, I think, especially in healthcare in our current situation with all the pandemic and now we have RSV and flu. And personally here at, at um, UMass, we actually have capacity issues as well. We really don't have enough beds uh, for what we need for our population here. So it is, it can be a, it, the struggle is real. The struggle bus is real uh, in terms of uh, getting people's time. And really, when you think about it, it's it's very tough when the work is so very different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working in this kind of healthcare mindset um, and to be able to pull people off and to be able to do it for a full day or multiple days, uh, very much of a struggle. Um, however, so we actually do encourage those type of events when the teams are ready for them. Um, and when we know for a fact people can show up We'll even take extra time, um, even if we have to wait an extra month to get people in a room, we'll do that to ensure that we have a really high quality event if we're going to indeed do that. Yeah, we we work hard to meet the team where they're at. So if if it is a high priority project with some urgency and the team feels like they're going to get the best energy and sort of the quickest results. And the leaders have been really great about making it happen when they feel that it needs to happen. And this is the best approach. Um, then we'll prepare a Kaizen. If on the other hand, the team, you know, can only carve out an hour every other week, then we'll do the best we can with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how much does it help on, um, on that front of trying to, prioritize time. How, how much does it help to have Eric's support and, and uh, enthusiasm and encouragement for all of this as CEO? So I think, you know, in thinking about this webinar, that is one of the main advantages of working directly for him is our team is affiliated with him, right? And uh, when they know that there's a little bit of that CEO visibility to it, our entire portfolio of projects, we currently have about 80 to 85 projects going on right now, is completely visible to him. So he knows progress of all these things. When they he, when people know about that, it does put a bit of the fire under their feet mm-hmm. uh, with respect to that. So it, does, it is very helpful. 
gives you good visibility too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that, yeah. So with that visibility, I'm sure it comes recognition and, and things that add positive reinforcement. Totally. Yeah. And also it, it expedites things, right? So you expedite the transformation when you're in that position. So a, a question that came in here from the audience kind of related to working with the CEO and senior leadership team, you mentioned um, implementing strategies or executing strategies. Can you give an example of a strategy that was set by the senior team and, and how you would go about turning that into execution? Yeah, so this happens every day for us, right? So we have four key strategic priorities as a company. It's our patients first, our people, our community, and our future. And then we have tactics that fall underneath that. Um, one of the big ones, and I'm sure a lot of people are, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, um, they're facing is the staffing crisis. So that's one of the key tactics is addressing our staffing crisis. Uh, the state of Massachusetts is, uh, has a deficit of 5,100 RNs uh, for the need and for open positions. And uh, it's, a real, it's, it's a really difficult situation. So we were tasked with doing a system kind of priority redesign on our talent acquisition and uh, the department there and really looking at the model that we we have, how do we expedite hiring and make it an amazing experience for the people coming in, in the door, mm -hmm. as well as that kind of onboarding experience, um, but also how do we speed it up and get as many people to the table as possible. So uh, we worked with the senior most leaders, C the, the CHRO, our chief human resources officer is the executive sponsor. Um, and we pull in our master black belts to work with his team and have been actively working on that one. Um, and that one's actually was we did that through Kaizen work. We actually have multiple Kaizens going on in that space. Um, but it, it was it was it's been a really a big success so far. Mm -hmm. And that's a cool example, I think, because we have the, the analytics in that space for us is um, somewhat immature. And so our team is working on dashboards to be able to see have retention and recruitment metrics. Um, we've got Master Black Belts working in a couple different areas related to that. And then a strategic program manager kind of overseeing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's great. And just to bring it back to like the virtual platform too. Um, so my team manages our projects in our virtual platform as well as our idea system. And our um, leave of absence program was one where we had a two-day event and it was kind of a, a design event, visioning event, set up five or six work groups from that. And so we have um, our large um umbrella in there as a project with baby A3s that are kind of embedded underneath it and I call them baby, but they're significant pieces of work. But, yeah. you know, the nested A3s mm -hmm. um, within that, that team members from the leave of absence team are working on. Um, and so it's a way that we can all see in our electronic virtual platform um, where those work groups are at and how they are related to each other, um, as well as kind of a direct connection back to the the Kaizen event, or in this case, the two-day event that we had. There, there, there was a bit of a follow-up question related to projects or A3s. Who owns, who usually owns that work, that improvement work? So the, the operational lead owns the project. Um, if my team is helping with it, then we are facilitators. We are, um, you know, subject matter experts in the methodology, um, but the operational lead is responsible for the success of the project and there's an operational sponsor that supports them as well. And we do not take on new requests unless we have that set up. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually part of a bit of our philosophy. Um, we need to make sure there's a couple of things. One is that the leader is engaged mm -hmm. um, and understands their role, but also it's that the team members that they're assigning are people that can dedicate time to some of this transformational work. Um, and it's it's helped us quite a bit, even when they're doing presentations on the outcome of it all. The operational owners are presenting the results, and well, you might go, well, then you don't get credit for. It. I go, but the the whole point is, if they own it, it just perpetuates this culture of improvement and ownership. That it's really not we're, we get them there, and we show them how to do it. 
Um, but at the end of the day, they have to own the the operational components just to to sustain the work. Mm-hmm. And if we if they if we don't have that set up, it's just not very successful. Mm-hmm. So then, when when you talk about the strategic priorities and the tactics, or do you use the language of strategy deployment or potion Conry internally, or are you sort of following from some of the lessons of those approaches? I think it's more the second, right? So we do not use potion Conry. I'm I'm very much a purist in terms of when we use the term lean, when we use the term the terms that come from the Toyota production system, because that's a description of of what Toyota did. Hmm. But to your point, the second kind of part of that is it's the learnings and how we built it into be our own thing. Hmm. So we do use strategic deployment um, and kind of strategy deployment uh, language, but we don't use it in the sense of we're, we're doing Koshin Connery, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you don't see X matrices around, you know, none of that, but there is, there are learnings from that, that many of the people that are involved in that work understand. And we've built it to be our own management system. And part of the management system is how do we proliferate the strategic plan down to the front line? Mm-hmm. So then one, I was going to ask one other follow-up question. When you talk about all of the, the, the many, many challenges and the new things that are popping up and you're having things thrown at you all the time, what, what are some of the methods that you would use for either limiting some of the current activity, like not saying no, but not now? How do you, how do you prioritize and help make sure that it's you know, kind of a, a, a manageable load? So what's good is I actually was really trained well by my one of my former bosses in terms of intake and prioritization. I worked in the IT section of our, you know, I worked for the CIO, previous CIO, and um, I was responsible for that process. So I'm really good at saying no to things. Uh, <laughs> but I think it really comes down to what our mission is. Our mission is to strategically execute for Dr. Dixon. So his strategic plan is super, super successful. So that's a guiding principle. And when we get requests that don't align to that, what we typically will do is we don't say like, no, <laughs> we go basically say, um, so we can't take that on as a project for CITC. However, there are a couple of avenues. Mm-hmm. You, we can get somebody green belt trained, black belt trained. I have a whole list of consulting firms that people can use. Um, so there's all different ways, depending on the angle that it's coming from. Uh, but we typically use the backbone of our strategic plan to guide our decisions of yes and no. And it's 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 helped us manage the bandwidth of our team. Um, and if it gets to a point where we, and there's been a couple of times where we've gotten to a point where we got like pretty full with even strategic stuff. Um, we typically will um, say we can't get to that right now. We anticipate because we have a pretty good project management um, roadmap and understanding of our resource management. So we can say, okay, but we can get to it in three weeks. Um, and so it, it gives a little bit of a carrot in terms of, hey, you know, we can get to you pretty soon and just hang tight for a second. We love when it works out that there's someone in the area who is wanting to become green or black belt trained and has the the time to be able to dedicate to doing that because then we can we can develop that person and that team and at the same time coach them through the work that they first came to us for. So that really works out to be a win-win when possible, right? Sometimes the operational lead that says, well, I, I don't have time. I don't have someone who has the capacity right now. Um, and then we have to, you know, think through something else or come back to it. But but that's also a lot of times what happens is that's the person that needed to be a part of the project and they weren't going to be able to invest the time. And if that's the case, then it's probably not right timing anyway. So we usually get ourselves into a, a pretty safe space going through this kind of process mm-hmm. uh, of aligning to strategy. So as a question, before we talk more about you know, some of the projects and the idea system and innovation station, there's a question that came in about your team. How big is your team? How did and did you grow it as the maturity of the greater organization grew in its adoption of these strategies? Did you start out with kind of a minimum team size, if you will, for an organization of 17,000 employees? How where, where did it start? How where is it? Oh boy. How do you decide how many people you need or can get? So if only they knew how complicated the answer for that question is, but I'm going to try to keep it very simple. So I'll just talk about it from when I came into the leadership of the team, because before that, it was a little different situation. 
Um, so when I took over CITC, I took over the process engineering group first. And then uh, there was a leader in IT that left. And that group, the data group actually ended up under me. So I started as like the vice president of uh, process engineering and analytics. And we had a couple project managers. So over time, we didn't add FTEs is what we call them, people, Mm -hmm. but we've kind of worked within the bounds of what we had to kind of even it out a little bit based on the amount of demand for each of the different types of services. So when somebody left, it's like, do we add that person, add a person back into this group or that? So we currently have 42 people between the data group and the project management group and the process engineering group. Uh, Half of the team sits with the data group um, and they're really the IT backbone and platform. Uh, they manage the platform um, around our uh, electronic medical record and the data that comes out of it. So they're actually IT professionals um, and developers. The other half, so project management, we have about nine, 10, and um, in process engineering, about nine. Mm-hmm. So that was the short answer. There's a lot longer answer. I won't go into that. <laughs> you can reach out to Penny if you want to. If you want to know the whole history, just let me know. <laughs> well, so a, a question came in from Matthew, and this is coincidentally where I was going to steer the conversation next. Can you talk more about the idea system, how it works, how that intersects with uh, the project portfolio? Sure. I can probably share my screen again here. Um, that's not what you want to see. There we go. <laughs> Okay, so this is our idea board, and uh, so the so our idea system is it's an electronic platform. Everyone in our organization has access to it. Um, they all have accounts to the platform. It uses our single sign-on, and we try to make the link as available as possible. Right, so there's a desktop icon. It's on our intranet site. Um, so people go in, there's a big create button in the middle of the screen. And if they're entering an idea, they hit create idea. And then the minimal requirements are to have a problem. So they enter what the problem is and to have an idea. We also ask why it's happening and and we ask what team it's on, but the required elements are the, the problem and idea. Once they put it in, it lands on their team's board which you're seeing a visual of that right here on the screen. Um, so there's information about the team at the top and how they huddle, um, the metrics that they're looking at. And then as they work through their ideas, they go from the new ideas card to the ideas in progress card, um, parking lot needs help, needs review, etc. And there's a question that came in from Tom. Is that in Kinexus? So I'm going to. It is in Kinexus, yes. So thank you. Call it Innovation Station. Yes. It is powered by Kinexus. (laughs) I I was going to say back back in the day, they would say Intel inside. That's right. We don't call it it this, but it's Kinexus inside Innovation Station. That's right. I mean, so, I mean, uh, and we love how you use the system, but I'll I'll ask as a follow up question. The, you know, the, the language around calling it innovation station. Yeah, so it was, it actually came from our caregivers. We had, um, we had a, a idea system advisory group that met when we were thinking about an electronic platform. We brainstormed several ideas and we narrowed it down to the top five, I think it was. And then it became a poll on our company intranet and people voted the most for Innovation Station and won the poll. So that's where the name came from. Um, it is our our hub, our, our home for anything innovation related. Um, so we currently have our idea system, A3s, our DMAIC projects, um, as well as um, some of our strategy deployment, like our level one board is in here. Um, and our level, some of our level two boards are in here as well, which means that you can go to a page in Innovation Station and you can see kind of a reference, right, of what are the strategies and tactics for the institution. So can you share an example of like kind of, kind of a typical frontline staff um, idea that they would put 
into the system. And I, and I love the way you, you have the structure of not just idea, not just suggestion, but problem and idea. Like what's the type of thing that, that somebody would put into innovation station? Yeah. So we have, um, I'll stop sharing. And we have a, a honor roll system where we review ideas every month and then identify a few for honor roll and the people who work on that get some recognition and um, it gives us a way to kind of share those ideas. So I read some of those before coming on because I knew you were going to ask that. Um, So a few were uh, one team had the idea to place mirrors outside of the elevator where commonly there's, you know, bumps or patients in a stretcher coming off the elevator. It's hard to see around the corner. So they installed those, you know, the bubble mirrors so you can see. Um, communication gaps and methods is a common type of idea. Um, so there was one this last month where um, ECMO activations, which is a, a life-saving, you know, critical care um, need, they were using pagers for it, and they did, did decided that it might be better to use secure chat to have more timely activations. Mm-hmm. Um, and a third one I pulled out was one of our community health link groups, which is our um, behavioral health area in the substance abuse um, team. An individual came up with the idea to have a sponsor night where they would bring together clients that they're working with in need of a sponsor and sponsors in the community who were looking to sponsor other people and have a, a potluck dinner and bring them together. So hmm. I have a wide range of very, um, you know, many of them are directly patient impacting. Mm -hmm. And then others are about the way we work together. Um, Many safety examples. So it's, it's really anything goes. We do encourage it to be aligned to true north, Mm -hmm. right? And we, we talk about alignment and priorities and and the teams decide which ones they work on. Um, But any type of problem or any idea that a team member has that a caregiver has, they can put in. Oh, and it's interesting because the in corporate in the corporate services side of things, you know, while they're not directly impacting um, or they're, they're not like the direct patient care, um, a lot of what they're dealing with is uh, problems that they are frustrated by within their work. And how do I make my workday better so that I can deliver better solutions to the frontline caregivers? Right. So um, you'll see a lot of that kind of neat too. Um, even our corporate services, be it like HR, finance, RevCycle, you know, any of that. So it sounds like when you're talking about things being um, worked on within the teams, the teams prioritizing, is is that by default kind of a local discussion within a team with their manager to decide if it's something worth testing? Do they need to come up with an alternative? Like if it's a quote unquote, and I use this phrase carefully, bad idea. Hmm. What can you can you walk us through some of that life cycle of okay I've clicked I've submitted something to innovation station what happens next yeah so we say that our idea system includes um, different elements there's like a formula for it and one of the elements is the huddle mm-hmm. um, our true north metrics is another element celebration is another element and the platform itself innovation station is the the final element. So that team huddle is really where that happens. So we don't use the language bad idea. Um, we just, we we ask them to kind of ask each other, okay, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Why is that occurring? And we talk about alignment to the true north and the team's metrics and the team then prioritizes from there. So, there's so been we put a lot- up parking lot. You know, like there's a parking lot on the board. And so if it's if it's not the right time for an idea, then they can move it to the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot of good follow-up questions here around um, idea system and innovation station. Can you share some stats on how many ideas are submitted and implemented? I, I don't want to steal your thunder of the big round number that shared. <laughs> I'll let you say it. Yes. Um, so we have 108,000 ideas currently in the system. Um, here's our kind of dashboard. Um, so 108,054 completed ideas right now. That is since we started um, the idea system itself, even you know, predating Innovation Station. Um, our rate over the years is here. Um, so we are 
a little bit down compared to our peak years. So we're we're working on sustaining and building that momentum. Um, this is our key metric that we're looking at right now. This is of our um, 17,000 caregivers, how many of them are participating mm-hmm. in the idea system. They're connected to an idea. And um, we're trying to get to 75% this year. Um, the green is those that are participating. So we're... Yeah. We're getting that close. Looks, that looks progress. like about 60% currently. 61%. 61%. <laughs> Not that we're counting. Well, but you are, and that's good. Well, we are. It's, but it's interesting because um, that's actually our one of our true north metrics up at the system level, our tier one level of our management system for Dr. Dixon. Um, and we do track it. And we actually, the accountability of that is not on my team. The accountability is on the entity. So for when I say entity, the hospital or the the kind of part of the business. And every week I send out a scorecard to our senior most leaders called the core team. And they find out how well they are implementing the management system through how many other caregivers within their entity have white belt training. And our goal last year was 90% to be 90% white belt trained for the company. We kind of, we were on a big initiative. And the second thing is participation. And it actually is a part of something that I pushed for when I first became the chief transformation officer with Dr. Dixon is um, I asked for him to add these things into our performance uh, reviews so that the, the metrics of our management system were tied to the goals of the executive and the managers um, at the company. So we we this what's what was kind of a game changer for us when we were on paper boards and posters and such, we had no visibility into these metrics. It was all kind of word of mouth of how well we were doing. But now that we've kind of moved into an electronic medium, um, we have all these analytics that allow us to really help with adherence to the to the mission of of the management system. So, but part of that was to really hold the entities accountable for their performance because at the end of the day, if they're not doing it, like I can't make their caregivers do it. Mm-hmm. So they have to be the leader within their, their organization. Right. So looking at this, um, there's a monthly chart that says resolved ideas in the lower right. It's year by year that says completed. Is there a difference in that terminology? Resolved versus completed? Um, no, there isn't actually. Okay. We we used to say completed ideas and oh. the system language is resolved. So it's just kind of a mix. Yeah. There is a difference though between resolved and implemented, <laughs> which yes. is a different term <laughs> on there as well. So one is it's been closed out and the other is it was completely implemented. Wow. So there is a, a difference between that. That's what those top two numbers are. You know, we tried some things and maybe we weren't successful. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to your previous question of some experimentation. Um, so that is the Delta there between those two numbers. Yeah. Um, I mean, one other, I love that you track the percentage of people participating. Um, a lot of our customers track the percentage of ideas that are implemented or something is implemented? Or are you looking at that percentage as well? We we have that. We're actually getting away from accounts and all that kind of thing of ideas. Mm -hmm. We're really trying to strive for participation and impact. Mm. Um, And we're kind of trying to mature our our system to be that. Um, And so we're kind of on this very like tiptoe journey towards that. So the first part was let's do participation first and then let's start phasing in some of the impact metrics around ideas. But um, we have to get everybody in there first. That's kind of our first mission. And 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 what what uh, I'd love to hear more about that evolution as you describe it. I mean, um, I guess let me let me just guess or correct me or elaborate on this that um, counting ideas is relatively easy. Determining what the impact is is more difficult. Is that That's right. <laughs> fair to say? How are, how are you getting better at determining the impact then? That's a good question. So really, as people are logging their ideas, they have the ability to go and attribute it to a certain true north kind of area in impact area. And so we actually do have other stats other than the ones that Kleena said we have. We have stats all over the place. It's great. Um, but it does talk about 
what bucket do the ideas fall in? And then at some point, we can then kind of start looking at the buckets that we can kind of either financially figure out or um, that have like impact on scores and we're moving the needle on scores. So we're kind of like taking that baby step first of let's look at the buckets and then let's figure out how do we quantify the buckets. So it'll be probably an evolution in that. One other thing I was going to comment, um, you, you don't have to put the chart back up, but the year by year chart, you know, there it looked like 2020, there was about a 50% drop. Okay. COVID, right. And same number for 2021, same number for 2022. I, I would choose to view that glass half full. Is that considering everything that's been going on that there's still like it didn't, the, perform, the performance didn't go to zero. It's still a high level of participation. Right. Can you talk a little bit more about managing that? Yeah. And actually, I actually don't have any problem with that graph at all. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because you see the pivot on that graph of us moving to participation and looking at it in a different lens. And it's really the quality of that participation and the quality of the improvements Mm -hmm. because you can get lots of numbers. You can Mm -hmm. game the system and get an idea per person and everybody's putting in the same idea or we're doing potlucks. We're doing, and not that there's any problem with potlucks, because I actually think that's a great engagement tool, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to have only potluck ideas in the system. Right. And the other thing is when you're kind of in this idea count per person situation, uh, people will hoard ideas, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's my idea. Right. Yeah. And it's really about, are you either someone that's participating in an idea or, you know, it's really about trying to build this kind of team oriented, people centric activity, behavioral activity versus it being about a check mark and I'm done for the year. Right. Cause we don't want this to be a forgotten activity. Right. So. When you talk about those impacts, um, the buckets of results, if you will. Somebody asked you, um, do you have financial KPIs as part of the impact? And maybe I'll, I'll add to that. Like, How much do you emphasize, let's say, cost savings as opposed to other um, strategic priorities and other measures? Nothing special. We don't oh. currently measure it. Um, we we're considering some baby steps to start moving us to measuring impact. It will probably look something like a, a high, medium, low initially, right? Mm-hmm. Like, was there a high, medium, low impact on patients or on our finances? And then kind of going from there, you know, we've got a crawl, walk, run, as my friend says. So, um, yeah, so we're, we don't we don't give any special emphasis to that. It probably gets a little less emphasis, but it's one, all ideas can be uh, attributed to a strategic alignment goal. And so it's one of the strategic alignment goals that is listed. Um, When we look at how many ideas are in each one, most of our ideas are either attributed to patient experience or caregiver engagement. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, there's there's other questions here about collaboration and um, improvement here. You know, first off, do you have a mechanism for sharing good ideas that should be implemented system wide rather than just keeping it um, hidden at the local unit, as the, the person phrased it? We've got we've got some. Um, I think we've got lots of opportunity to improve in this space, um, but we we do use the honor roll system that I mentioned. So when a team completes an idea, they can choose to nominate it for honor roll. And then if it's selected, it's um, shared and it's on a special board and they receive some recognition. We do regularly share those ideas um, on our intranet and in newsletters that are sent from our communications department. Um, There is a great search function in Innovation Station and Kinexus. And so we do encourage teams as we're coaching and we're doing the training, um, we make sure we show that search function because it can be very useful. Um, that's about where we are though. Uh, so we're definitely, we've got our eye on that as a, an area for continued improvement for us. Yeah, and I would also just add, I think that there is, uh, what's really cool about the way it's set up for us, we have about 700 teams or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that there's transparency, you can actually look at other people's boards. Mm-hmm. 
that sharing does happen um, where people are like, okay, what is that unit doing? You know, let's get some ideas from there. So that a lot of that does happen. And I would also say another big event that happens each year is our innovators of the year, um, which is sharing like the biggest ideas and what the the best teams are doing. Um, And we do celebrate and we have a winner uh, for these different categories each year that showcases them, but also shares kind of like, hey, this is a fantastic improvement. And through there, that sharing, you can you can have that transfer as well. Yeah. So another question here, and, and this is a challenge, whether it's, you know, kind of a, a, a traditional paper-based system or any electronic system, but what, what would, you, would you say there are ideas that get implemented that don't make their way into the innovation station? I've yeah. seen this happen a lot of organizations. So like, I'm doing improvement, why, why, why should I document improvement? How, how do you talk to people about that? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually what you want, though, right? I mean, I think uh, obviously we want to have this fantastic repository of idea systems and ideas that people come up with. But if you're baking improvement into your culture, so you want it to be in an, like a, a subconscious thing in some ways too. There is, I don't look at that as like, oh my gosh, how dare they, right? I actually think we're getting there, right? I think we're getting to the destination of this is how we want to be. It doesn't have to be this overt, intentional, hey, look, it's, it's an idea. Mm-hmm. It's about it being a part of our everyday work. And so that's really the ultimate goal, right? Is how do we attach the stuff to our work and how we think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also an intentional practice and behavior that we want to want to do as a company to continue building that, which is why we have the idea system. So I actually don't see that as a bad thing, but it is absolutely <laughs> it's absolutely happening. And I and I think that's great. Yeah. So a, a question following up on tracking participation and what, what counts as participation? Does that include people who are collaborating or um, people who are creating the idea? Lena, do you want to get that one? Yeah, it, it includes anyone whose name is attached to the idea. So anyone who's collaborating on the idea. Mm-hmm. It also counts for the people that are also doing A3s, right? In terms yes. of like if they're doing A3 work and that kind of higher level, maybe they didn't participate in their huddle, but they're also doing project work, which is an even higher, um, uh, higher value. A um, couple of people were interested about patient input. Do, are patients able to provide ideas for improvement? If so, how would they be involved in the improvement work? Um, someone else related question. If um patient input or complaints? Like, do, does that formally filter in, funnel in? Um, we don't yet have patients inputting directly into the system. It's um, something that's been brought up. We we may get to it in the future. Um, there's some new uh, kiosks in the areas that we might be able to kind of dual purpose and have them be able to go in. Um, so that's maybe something we could do in the future. We do see a lot of ideas generated from caregivers that are based on the Prescani, you know, survey comments or things that were said to them while they were caring for a patient. Um, so we definitely have that. Um, we have pretty good PFAG, we have very good um, PFAG representation in areas of the hospital. So some of the improvement work does include the PFAC members. Um, so that's not a explicit connection to innovation station, but we do have that as part of our improvement ecosystem. What what, what is an acronym for those who don't know? Patient, patient. and family. Yeah. Patient and family advisory. advisory. Yeah. yeah. Council basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Committee. Okay. Thank you. Um, another question here, you know, says this uh, innovation station appears to be a good way to get frontline employee involvement. Are you also looking at things like incidents, errors, regulatory feedback to help identify improvement projects? Or how, how, how does that all fit together there at UMass? We don't track incidents in innovation station. We use a different system for that. Um, we do uh, talk with our quality and regulatory colleagues quite a bit, and they um, will, you know, of course, they do projects on their own. They also sometimes reach out to us to collaborate on projects that they're seeing, or if it's a, a risk or something that they're seeing pervasive across the system, um, then they might engage us to help with that area. 
Yeah, we've done like FMEA for for those of you that are familiar with that tool. Um, with that team, we've done project work with that team, especially like in the ED. There was some, there was a lot of work done there. So, um, so it doesn't always make. It's not like a connected system. However, we did think through that a lot as we were deploying the system. I come up with like an architecture of all the systems that we wanted to feed in to Innovation Station. Um, and we had talked with them, but it, it makes a lot of sense not to put those in the system because it's not technically innovation, mm-hmm. um, but it, what comes out of them end up on idea boards, right? So it's it's having that kind of thought process attached to Innovation Station without it being a storage for that because we don't want to have any of the, those incidents listed in the actual in the actual platform. Okay. And, you know, Kinexus does, uh, I'm not, well, it's just mentioned for, for those who might be wondering, uh, Kinexus does have an incident reporting module that is HIPAA compliant and some organizations use. I'm not trying to sell you on that <laughs> at the moment, Penny and Clean It, but I did want to mention um, that, that that is something that's an option through um, the Kinexus platform. Thanks, Mark. I tried to say that in the least awkward way possible, but I still made it awkward. <laughs> That was funny. That was good. <laughs> Thank you for rolling with that. Um, sure. So then uh, let's see. Um, when it comes to huddles, you've mentioned huddles a couple of times. What, what's the mix been um, these days between in-person and virtual or, or even hybrid? Uh, I don't know how many of each we have. We, def- we have a lot of both <laughs> and all three types. Um, the I think the the virtual huddles work really well. We have teams that are doing in-person huddles um, that also work really well. We have been deploying um, TV screens and, and WebEx kits and that sort of thing to teams that need it in order to have an effective huddle. Um, we still have some to go there. Uh, and the hybrids are probably the hardest, just like with any, I feel like that's the case mm-hmm. with any meeting, right? If you try to have some people virtual and some people in the room, it can be a challenge. Um, but we do have teams that do that successfully too. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the platform is there makes that possible where before with our only, you know, the whiteboard on the wall, that wasn't even really an option at all for someone to call in if they were working at a different campus that day. So mm-hmm. um, generally that's been very helpful for the teams that have that want to huddle together, but they have their members in in multiple different locations. Yeah, and I executive round on our department, our, our department of urology and the clinic specifically there, and we we deployed out monitors and but their their doctors are across multiple sites and they'll call in and be on a WebEx. Um, and it, it's once we got the tech set up, that was kind of like I think that's kind of one of the learnings of this was in a system or in a company, right, that has workers that are on the go. And like nurses or doctors in our case, but you could have factory workers or whatnot. Um, You have to think about kind of how they're working and it can't be a one size fits all. You have to almost customize based on certain types of work. Um, But with this, with the urology clinic, we were able to get them monitors and all that and allow them to have this interaction with the physicians, et cetera, which is, uh, which has worked. And that's just an example. Another question on huddles, um, are those happening well, for clinical huddles? Are they happening every shift? Are they happening on weekends? What what do you see happening? What would you want to see happening? Yeah, so we leave that up to the team. The team kind of develops their own rhythm for that. We tend to recommend weekly, um, but for those teams that have uh, shiftly um, different teams per shift, then they, you know, should be rounding on each of the shifts if they can, and then having some sort of connection between the shifts. So it varies, but I would say, yes, most of our um, shift teams do huddle each shift and we recommend weekly. Most are doing weekly or every other week. And one of the things that we did do with some of the technology is sometimes you don't have room on the walls uh, to put boards um, so they actually, they huddle every ship, the, like the bed huddles that they do. And uh, we found a way for, for IT to switch on their, uh, on their huddle board that they use for like Epic and their, like what their patient passed down to switch between that and Kinexus so that they can huddle in the same place that they're 
doing their, their idea systems. It's, it's kind of one and the same. So to kind of bake it in naturally into something they're doing and not be this whole second like monitor over here. Now you go over here and do idea systems, you know, they do bed huddle over here to try to help them integrate it. And it helps with the behavior component of it too. So we did find a way to do that with our partners in IT. And we do work very heavily with IT, both in our transformational project work as well as in our idea system work because of the platform being an IT platform. But we are kind of sister groups in that sense because CITC was originally was underneath IT and the CIO. And then the CIO left and then his role split into two to the transformation role that he had and then the CIO role. But we're still very integrated. One, because of all the, it, the stuff that we do, but transformational work in these days, if you have uh, EMR requires a lot of IT intervention. Uh, so a lot of our work requires I, uh, epic work, IT work. Okay. So we're um, down to about five minutes left and, and I want to thank everybody. We've, we've got more questions than we can um, cover here. So we'll, we'll put our heads together and come up with, um, you know, kind of a, a plan. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get some information or answers to people um, at some point. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to sign you up for homework here, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we'll we'll we'll, fi- we'll figure out something whether we record maybe some additional um, Q and A or we'll we'll figure out how to address that. But uh, I wanted to also ask you mentioned um, training, belt training of different types. Could could you give a little bit more detail around, let's say, the white belt and the green belt? How much time that is? How are you tracking certifications? Any of the project work related to that? Sure. Um, so our white belt is part of new caregiver orientation, and it's about three hours long. We also have an electronic version of, of virtual training. Um, it is virtual, the new caregiver um, as well. Uh, but we also have a, a, WPT, a web-based training for white belt. Yellow belt is one day. Um, it's also a virtual classroom, um, a live instruction. And then our green belt is uh, two, two and a half days of live instruction in person and includes doing a project with a coach. Um, and then black belt is four days of live instruction with uh, in, a, in a classroom with a project as well. So by the time you're a black belt, you've had um, multiple days of training and two projects at, at a minimum. And the projects are all now the green belt and the black belt projects are all done within our innovation station platform. So the candidates are tracked, they go through toll gates, and it's all done electronically in that way. And what's awesome about it is it's an automatic repository for all project work being done. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, someone did ask earlier, how does a UMass Memorial employee apply for the green belt training? So we have we have uh, rolling enrollments. We hold classes. Um, we're doing it five times this year, and we did it five times last year as well. Um, so we'll go up or down depending on our demand, but we'll probably be doing uh, five or six next in fiscal year twenty four as well. Um, it's rolling uh, enrollments, and so they sign up, and we reach back out, make sure that they have their manager approval, sponsor approval, and a project that they can work on, and find the right fit in terms of the availability of our classes and their schedule. And they have to have a project that goes with it too, in the sense that we, it's not just kind of a learning situation. It's a learning through doing situation. So we do require that they come in with a project, both with green and black belt. There's another follow-up question. Um, Do your black belts or green belts get ASQ or similar recognition or is it complete internal certification? It's internal. Internal. But I imagine if somebody wanted to go and get deeper education or to go get another certification, you would encourage. So go learn more, go do more, right? Yeah. And we do that within our our own group, right? From a Lean Six Sigma perspective, we give them the Lean Six Sigma training. But then we've had people that have gone on to a master black belt level and we've had to use multiple institutions to do that so that it's a really rich certification and not just um, you know, the world according to Penny and Kleena, <laughs> although Kleena's pretty awesome. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important to have that well-roundedness in, in their experience. All right. Well, um, I want to say thank you to you both, uh, Penny and Kleena. There were a lot of thank yous coming in um, from the chat for the great discussion. We had people 
from India and New Zealand saying oh, thank great. you and sharing with them uh, in the morning uh, in New Zealand. Thank you, Tom, for being here. We have people here from, from many countries. Um, so I'm all saying thank you. You're doing impressive work. Oh, and thanks for having us. This has been very, very fun. Well, I'm Thank glad you. you could join us and um, you had a lot to share. And if you could do the screen share one last time, we'll make a couple quick announcements um, about the upcoming webinar in January in particular. So this is uh, our last webinar uh, for the year. The next webinar is going to be held on January 10th. Uh, it's going to be presented by uh, Nick Katko about, uh, this is the, the rough title of it anyway, what continuous improvement people need to understand about financials. So, so Nick is uh, very experienced in different industries um, in terms of uh, accounting and some of the measures that executives um, look at. And um, we can all become a little bit more savvy when it comes to um, corporate measures and accounting and, and finance. And he makes those connections really clear. So registration will be open for that uh, pretty soon. And we do encourage and invite people uh, to also visit our blog. Um, if you can advance, we'll just go through these real quick. Blog.kinexus.com. Um, lots of uh, free articles available there. And we also have a podcast. Um, the audio of today's session will be available in uh, the Kinexus podcast. We encourage you to subscribe or follow through Apple Podcasts or any of uh, the major services. Um, we, have, we have a new logo with, uh, with our uh, mascot, Ofi. Um, there in the, uh, the the podcast. Uh, so it's nice to see Ophi make an appearance. Um, but more importantly, it was great uh, that Kalina and Penny, that you two made an appearance here today and, and shared so much with us. Um, really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you for being uh, a Kinexus customer and for doing such great work in your innovation station platform. Thanks, Thanks so again. much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. It was fun. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. Have a good one. Bye now. <laughs> All right. Take care.